my favorite passages in a really favorite book of mine, 1 Peter 4. Um, but before we talk about that, what in your mind is the key to a great summer camp? What, what's the difference between a great summer camp and a horrible summer camp? Is it, is it having a team that's all on the same page, that's all excited about playing games? Or maybe if you're on the opposite side of the spectrum, it's having a team that doesn't want to play the game and you're all in cahoots together to lose together and to not be involved or embarrass yourself. Um, is, it, um, is it the talent show being bearable? Is it, is it uh, accidentally getting sick and having to sleep through the talent show so you skip it? Um, is it when all the messages are great and stirring and encouraging? Um, is it when the singing is enthusiastic and loud? Is that what makes a great summer camp? Is it when you get to enjoy um, late night conversations that are encouraging, rewarding, maybe even conversations anytime um, that are encouraging? Does that make a camp great? Um, is a camp great the more sleep you get or the less sleep you get? What do you think? What do you think? Um, is the more uh, is camp great when you find a friend or, or discover a friend that you didn't know was there before? Um, is camp great because you have more free time? Or less free time? Which one is it? I don't know. Um, is camp great because you have more pig heads or less pig heads? I'll just let you think about that for a while. <laughs> what makes a great camp? Well, it could be many of those reasons. Those are reasons that I um, really love summer camp. Um, I would also include just uh, a joined fellowship with other leaders and, and truly finding joy together um, in serving you guys um, I find that to be a really um, a great way to enjoy a camp. But as, as I was thinking about it, what makes a uh, camp uh, better than the rest? What will change one camp from another? What will cause you to walk away on Wednesday with your parents and say, that was such an encouraging, wonderful camp? It, it might be fun, but is it going to encourage you spiritually? What, what would make a camp different? Go from good to great. And I want to suggest to you, purposefulness will change your camp experience. Why are you going? What are you aiming at? What are, what are you seeking to get out of this? Are you seeking just to have a good time? Are you seeking just to kind of escape town for a while? Or are you seeking there to intentionally pursue something that perhaps you're too distracted all summer to pursue? Maybe it's a great time to get away from distractions, from from certain situations maybe or anything like that and to focus on a high degree a high volume of God's word a high volume of worship and a high volume of fellowship maybe that could change camp from being a good camp to even a great camp purposefulness if you go there pursuing those things wanting to grow through those things that will change your camp I would say you want to live ready to honor Christ regardless of what you're doing or not doing. You want to always live ready to honor Christ. That's what purposefulness is. I am constantly seeking to honor Christ in what I am doing. Uh, Peter, in writing the letter of First Peter to the churches in Asia Minor, is actually calling the church to live purposefully. They're, they're in a world where, where trials and troubles are seeming more and more likely and in their fear, what does Peter tell them to do? To run and hide and to try to just survive? Is that the, the key to their life? He says, no. The, the way to find joy, even in the hardest times, so therefore the th- way to find joy in even the best times, is to 
pursue Christ's likeness with purposefulness. That is the key to all of life. What, regardless of what your situation is, whether it's hard or easy, light or heavy, if you pursue Christ, honoring Christ, glorifying Christ purposefully, you will always have something to do. You will always have a calling. Um, you can always count on God's grace. You can always count on God's grace when you're living intentionally and purposefully like that. And that is a wonderful thing to count on. Uh, that's Peter's essential statement here in all of Peter. He's saying, live by God's grace in every circumstance for God's glory. If you wanted to sum up First Peter in a sentence, that's what it would be. Seek to live by God's grace, regardless of your circumstances, for God's glory, and you will never have a wasted moment in your life. You will actually find hard moments to be beneficial, and you will find um, happy moments to even be beneficial as well. Let's read our passage here. This is once again at the end of 1 Peter and 1 Peter 4, verse 7. Peter's been talking about hard relationships, difficult trials and troubles that this church will likely go through, and he's been exhorting them to faithfulness. But now look at, as he gives them just this list of exhortations as he's about to leave them. He says this in uh, chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is at hand, therefore be of, of sound thinking and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling as each one has received a gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks... As one speaking the oracles of God, whoever serves as one serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and might forever and ever. Amen. This, this is a list of exhortations for people who don't know what their life is going to look like, but Peter says you can live for the glory of God through pursuing these things. Now, you may be familiar with this passage, but I just want to walk through it again and try to put some of the, the ideas here into prayer form. So, if you want prayers for camp to ask the Lord to help you in camp, here's some prayers that you can pray, kind of following this outline that we have here. Um, so, let's, let's go to the first, the first prayer that you can have for camp to live purposefully. Number one, Lord, help me to live at camp with the end in view. Lord, help me to live at camp with the end in view. Now, some of you are like, the end of what? The, the end of camp? Yeah, it could be helpful, right? I, I suppose there's wisdom to that. Help me to live at camp in such a mindset that I don't want to go home saying I wasted my time at camp, right? Help me to go home from camp without regrets. Help me to live at camp with the end in view. But that's actually not what I'm talking about here from First Peter, and you probably guessed that. Um, this is actually talking about, in verse 7, the end of all things. That's talking about the end of all things. This is talking about when Christ comes and when he appears on earth and when you stand before him. Live with that end in view, even in all of your experiences, but even at camp. Matter of fact, all of these exhortations that are in verses 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, they're, they're all kind of dependent on this idea of being 
sound of thinking, being sober-minded, because the end is in view. All of them depend on this. All of them flow from this. If you have an end-times mindset, you will live out all of these commands in these verses, right? So the first thing, you want to pray to God, Lord, help me to be at camp with the end in view. Help me to live according to what's really real, to true reality. Help me to not just say, I want to live for the next three days. Help me to, li- to not just say, I want to live for the next you know, 10 years. Help me to live, I don't, I'm not even going to live for the next you know, 30, 60 years. Help me to live for what real life is, which is eternal life when Christ comes. Help me to live with the end in view. This is actually a huge theme in the letter of 1 Peter. He's constantly pushing them to look towards the future. This is actually the antidote uh, to living in trouble and trial, the, the, the antidote to, to handling difficult relationships and, and difficulties like that. It is looking at life with the end in view. First Peter 1, verse 3, uh, Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Because of what God has done to us, we can hope forwards, we can lean forwards, we can look forwards, we can live forwards because of what God has done in our heart. We have a living hope. But then he goes on to say, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and unfading, having been kept in heaven for you. The believer looks forward to eternal life because of what God has done in them, and they have security in this life because they have possessed something that is unshakable in real life, which is eternal life. Peter constantly keeps pushing them ahead like this. Even in difficult situations, you're, you're looking ahead. Even when the world scoffs you and maligns you and uh, ridicules you in First Peter 4, uh, verse 4, they are surprised that you do not join with them in the same excess of dissipation, and they even malign you. You are called as a believer to look ahead. They will have to give an account to him who judges the living and the dead. And, and you will also have to stand before Christ. And, and the way you handle even the hardest situations is by looking ahead to the elders in the church. He, he, he wants them to focus on the chief shepherd who's coming, who will give out an unfading crown of glory to all of the believers in the church who are suffering in the church. He, he, he says this in 5 verse 10, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, strengthen, confirm, and ground you. To him be might forever and ever. Amen. Right? The believer's life has stability, has application, has eagerness. Because they are looking ahead. They are sober-minded. They are sound of thinking. And, and this is their focus because they are focusing on what Christ will bring to them when he comes. There's blessing to the life that looks ahead. It keeps you, sorry, it keeps troubles in perspective, right? This will only last a short time, First Peter 5.10 says. And, and by short time, he's not saying your troubles are just going to be short. He's saying, in comparison to all the joy that you have in eternity, this is but a short time. Um, Looking ahead adds urgency to your good works, right? You are working because you're saying Christ could come at any time. 
Looking ahead adds urgency to your good works. Looking ahead to Christ's return actually purifies you today. And you know this from passages like 1 John 3, right? This looking ahead to Christ and longing for his coming actually purifies you as he is pure. But notice the reason that Peter gives for why you should be looking ahead. It's so that you can pray. The believer who isn't looking ahead can't be praying. The the believer that's all focused on today isn't focused on God's glory, and they're not praying. Their, Their prayers are hindered. That's what 1 Peter 4, 7 says. Do all of this, be sound of thinking, sober in spirit, that comes from looking ahead for the purpose of prayer. Right? What kind of prayers do sober-minded people pray? They say, Lord, help me to not just focus on me and my needs right now, but help me to focus on others and their needs. Or say, Lord, I know that they have wronged me, but I know that you have wronged me more, and help me to be patient and kind and generous with them, even after they have wronged me. You should pray, Lord, help me to have a mindset that is forward. Let's look at another prayer that, that, that is a prayer for purposefulness, which I would say will, will shape your experience at camp for the better. Another prayer, Lord, help me to start and strive for fervent love. Lord, help me to begin this camp eager to show and manifest a fervency of love. You know how the devil wants to derail your camp experience this week? It is to cause you to be offended by something small that builds up into something big. It will, it will be to separate you from other people because of small offenses and cause those small offenses to become big offenses. It is, cause, it is to make you focus on all the things that you think you deserve, all the things that you're expecting, all the rights that you assume that you should have, and say, I deserve this, I should do this, I should have this, and cause you to be in tension or in conflict with someone else. But I'm asking you, and instead of allowing sins of any kind to separate you from other people, I am asking you to strive from the beginning for fervency of love. I don't want to just be a, a, a vacuum to let camp you know, come and hit me as it will. I don't want to just say, I'll just come to camp and see how people are treating me, and that will determine how I treat them. You know? No, you, you start out saying, I am striving for a fervency of love. I am going to begin camp praying for others. I'm going to begin camp stretched out with a desire to show love towards others. I'm not going to wait for them to love me. I am going to start the loving first. That's, I'm going to take the initiative. I'm going to start this camp strong. I love the word earnestly. Notice verse 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. There's a lot going on there. But I do love the idea of fervency or earnestly in the ESV, fervent, it, it, it's, a, it's a word that speaks of, a, uh, of high intensity. It's a word that's used of a horse in full sprint for the, you know, the, the, the tape, as it were. It's, it's a word used of a runner running hard. This is, this is someone who is uh, experiencing great joy from their life because they are seeking to take the initiative in love. And notice what happens when you are keeping fervent in your love for one another. 
You are eager to do what? You're eager to maintain fellowship. You're eager to forgive sins when they're confessed. You're eager to even have that concept that uh, Dr. John Street talked about as, as having a, a spirit for forgiveness. I, I'm ready to forgive you. I'm eager to forgive you. I want to shake for, uh, hands with you in friendship. I really do. Right? What does love that's fervent looks like? I would say this. It, it refuses to listen to gossip or corrupting speech about anyone because you want to seek to love them. It refuses to let offenses linger. Look at every camp, every retreat, people get hurt and are upset by people that aren't treating them the way they feel like they should be treated or something like that. And, and sometimes people even come to me and say, man, I've got a real problem right now. So here's my covenant to you. I'll say to you in that moment, look, I know you are hurt. I know you are offended, but are you striving for fervency of love with that person? And then the second thing I'll say to you is, if they have sinned against you, either you need to go and talk to them about that, or we're going to be going right now and talking to them about that. So you decide, you and me or you. Well, that's what fervency of love does. It says, I'm not just going to let the world come to me. I'm going to strive to be intentional and purposeful in how I think and how I pray about them. I'm, I'm not going to listen to gossip. I'm not going to allow offenses to linger either. Lord, help me to start and strive for fervent love. Here's another prayer, number three. Lord, help me uh, not to hold tightly to camp my way. Lord, help me to not hold tightly to camp my way. And maybe you've had a lot of great experiences uh, in the past for camp, and, and maybe some of those you can possibly recreate. Maybe you will recreate them. I'm always trying to recreate experiences, but I've always kind of learned that um, anything I've ever tried to hang on to is never as sweet if I'm trying to force it to happen again or insisting on it happening again. And everything I open with a kind of an open palm tends to delight me, right? When, when I'm constantly trying to have camp my way and try to kind of have the exact same experiences with the exact same people, those probably won't be recreated. But when I take camp as it comes to me and as I strive to love people intentionally, I find great experiences. A greater camp, or greatest, I would say, camp joys are found in sacrificing sometimes what your dreams are for seeking and serving another instead. I would say once again, all of our joys, right? All of our joys, everything that we love, everything that we appreciate must be held with an open palm saying, Lord, you could take this away. Lord, this might not go the same way. Lord, the plans might change this year, but I'm going to hold all of these things that I really enjoy and really treasure with an open palm. Otherwise, it will become an idol in my life. If, if I hold too closely to anything other than Jesus, it will become an idol in my life. Notice how, how Peter says this. He says, be hospitable, which means be welcoming. Be, be ready to share what you have with others. Be hospitable to one another. But notice this, the danger, do this without grumbling. Uh, don't go around thinking about how someone else is ruining your experience or how something's not going your way, but rather say, I'm going to seek to share this time that I really love with other people. Other people. Maybe set a few goals for yourself. If you feel like you're, you're strong in the faith, seek to befriend someone who is weaker in the faith. And if you feel like you're weaker in the faith, which, by the way, the theme is humility, so all of you should, you should strive and seek to pursue someone 
who is stronger in the faith that can help you grow in your faith even now? A good question would be, hey, what are you learning in, in these in these in these sessions that we are hearing, right? I'm here I'm seeing you write a ton of notes and I want to know what you're learning because it seems as though God's teaching you all sorts of things and I want to grow like you. Lord help me to not hold tightly to camp my way. Here's another one, and this comes from kind of the remainder verses there, verses ten and eleven. It says this, I'll read it and then I'll tell you the prayer. As each one has received a gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks as one speaking the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belong the glory and might forever and ever. Amen. Here's a prayer that you can pray. Lord, help me to see where I can use my gifts. Lord, help me to see where I can use my gifts. This passage is very interesting to me. It it doesn't talk about all of these crazy gifts, like all these specific ones, like gifts of faith, gifts of leadership, although we know Paul, Paul talks about them. But notice, it just, it has two categories for spiritual gifts. And, and, and it kind of says all of these come from God as, as gifts to you of grace for others. And, and notice they are speaking gifts and then they are serving gifts. But, but notice each one has received a gift. It's, it's clear that each person, each believer has received some sort of way to serve others, whether it's by what they do or what they say to benefit someone else. Now, people... People who don't serve then are maybe a little proud. People who don't serve say, I have nothing to offer. Well, you're not listening to what the Bible says. You have been given grace by God to serve. Or even people who do serve but serve self-centeredly might also be proud. It's all about me. It's all about doing it my way. No, we need to serve as God would, as God would say, as God would act. We serve each other. Once again, serving Serving with your hands, it seems to be um, attempting to do something good for someone else. How can I be an instrument that God uses? That's what you're asking yourself. What, what could I do? Could I come along someone and encourage them? Could I get to know someone? Could I befriend someone that's on the fringes? Speaking is very powerful because it says we should speak to one another. And he's talking to the entire church. He's not just talking to the leaders, but he's talking to the entire church. We should speak as if we are speaking the oracles of God. Now, how can you do that? Well, you do that by knowing God's word so that everything that comes out of you is informed and shaped by God's word. But we should strive in all things to serve as God's stewards of grace and we should speak as God's stewards of his word. And we do all of this through the strength that God supplies. There's, there's an element of assurance to Christ's gifts, aren't there, right? Anything that God is calling me to do, he will also give me the strength to do it. If I'm called to serve in this way this week, he will, what? Give you strength and supply. But how do you know you're serving in his way this week? Well, you're serving in his way this week when you're serving him for his glory too. Notice, gifts are very humbling as well. They come with God's assurance, but they also come with a built-in humility. All good things that you possess, all of the gifts that you have been given to serve others are not for you. They're for God's glory. 
And that's why God always gives you gifts. And that's how you can always kind of assess, why am I doing this? Am I doing this to be seen, or am I doing this to just serve silently and to never be thanked? I would just, once again, say to you, don't go into camp floating. You know what floating is? In Minnesota, we've got all these rivers. You know what we do on rivers? We float. They just kind of pull us down. And it takes forever to get anywhere, but you float. It's really relaxing. But you go anywhere that the stream goes. Don't just show up to camp saying, I'm just going to go wherever the flow goes. Because you will you will more than likely leave camp less than satisfied and less than nourished. Go purposefully, and you will meet strength for prayer. You will meet opportunities to love. You will meet the joy of serving, and you will meet gifts and service opportunities galore when you go purposefully. But all of this, all of this can only be ours if we also go humbly, right? You've got to go humbly. Otherwise, you cannot do any of these things. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, thank you for this time that we are here to just think through your word and what it says and be encouraged once again by a familiar passage. And we pray that we would make one or two of these prayers even ours as we seek to go. I pray that we would um, not go to just serve ourselves, but to serve in fervency of love. I pray that we would not go just to hold on to our interests, but to also reach out and try to hold the interests of others. I pray that we would not go for our glorification, but we would go to glorify you and serve you through the grace that you've provided. And I pray that we would even have a sense of the end, that we would go looking towards the future and say, what is going to matter a thousand years from now? I want that to matter to me now. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.